0: could you please pronounce your name correctly for me
1: yes marine tongi
0: and you are the founder of mt art agency correct
1: correct yeah
0: now how did you even get into being creative were your parents creative like how did you sort of come to the path of all this
1: I mean, I think for me, it's a very long story now. So my mom was a primary teacher, my dad is a sport teacher. And I grew up on an island where there's not much art whatsoever because it's an island. I didn't, know if I grew up creative, I think my mom was really keen on me reading. So I definitely read loads and I think that definitely helped my imagination. I was very much someone who had. I guess, visual narratives that she imagined and and I wanted to see in a sense that I was very good at imagining the world I wanted to see and and live in. And I would trust my instinct to kind of want to be part of that, which sounds very, I guess, not very concrete, but silly things that I've imagined a lot of my life and I'm lucky that I've been able to kind of live it. And I guess I was just someone that was very kind of I just listened a lot to it. So I just went on about it. So I studied literature philosophy at an university in France, that's called the Prépa kind which are a cursors that's pretty known in, for the French system. And again, I studied this because I felt that this was where intellectuals would be meeting and the world that I was to be a part of will be meeting as well. I didn't feel that was exactly what I got. So I changed again, to the UK where I was told that I could start working earlier and they could offer different paths and and after that the the story is much more of a CV like by 19 I was already running a gallery by 21 I was director by 23 I was earning one in LA because an investor approached me then I got pushed you know like very quickly from stages to stages so since it's been very much the same story for the past 12 years which is you know, I make sure that artists get the best opportunities, I make sure that the best they have the best support. I make sure that I create a lot of opportunities and I'm very creative in the way I do that. And I guess MT Arts Agency was a pinnacle of that where I felt the traditional art world was not allowing me to have all the opportunities I wanted to create for them. And a talent agency system would enable me to do that. And obviously, since it's grown substantially, so we've got offices in london paris and monaco and and obviously it's not just me anymore it's a team of selection committee investors and partners and and a crew of artists i'm incredibly fortunate to be working with so yeah i just um, am at the stage in my life where i generally have been able to walk from in the shoes of what i had dreamed of when i was much younger but i never dreamed in job titles i dreamt in the way I wanted my life to be led and and I'm lucky to have that
0: you touched on so many things I want to know more about so first thing first question of course now keep in mind I'm a practicing artist I'm also a professor and a lot of listeners are generally practicing artists and people in this that sort of avenue of the the industry so the first question of course is like when you decide to work with an artist how do you what are the criteria that they, that you're looking for, because like I'm thinking, it's not the the quality of the work is great, but there's also the element of like you want they they have to be somewhat business minded. You, you like there's some other characteristics beyond purely just great art that I'm sure you look for that I'd like to know yeah. more
1: about. I mean, we have a selection committee, so it's actually not me, and I've done it on purpose because I wanted a level of fairness. I wanted that everyone who you know, didn't know me or didn't know anyone of my team will still be able to access the company. So it's actually not me who is partially running the selection process. I guess there is a very a big difference. I've had a very passionate relationship with the artists, not in any love ways, but I'm definitely a salesperson in a sense. I need to believe into what I do to then kind of make someone else believe in it. And I guess I'm as as any salesperson would be that you are very good at convincing if you convince yourself and then the, the different type of salespeople are good at convincing full stop you know but I think for me it's I'm good at convincing if I'm convinced so I think I've always had very intense relationship but I'm glad this I don't have this anymore in a sense that like my early ones I have that with them because we've built you know carriers together and and a lot of them are doing incredibly well so I think it's we are very close from a friendship perspective but I'm actually very glad that the company is making it really fair has a selection system that looks from anywhere from how innovative the technique is to what's the background of the artist to what's the storytelling to how are they going about it as a personality to what's a degree of ambition to the projects they want to realize and that that is external people doing it because i don't think i'll be as thorough as a person and i think that's the difference between a corporate and an individual, as of trade, not that I've ever trained in sales, I've always been very good at convincing people when I felt one of my artists was, you know, worth something in my head and, and had to be worth something or was deserving something. So it's it's a double, it's a double process. I think I'm much more on the instinct on the person than I am purely on the art, if that makes sense. But then the company has now structured that so that it's hopefully fair um, in the way that this is being led.
0: I, I was in no way implying that if you were the one making all the decisions, it was unfair. It's your company.
1: <laughs> I definitely wouldn't want to be biased, so I'm glad this is being removed, and I'm, we are less biased because I think the art world is incredibly biased.
0: It 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 does definitely play favorites, that's for sure. And it seems like there's an in crowd and an out crowd, and it's really hard to cross those boundaries.
1: I've gone through every stage of of the sector where when we disrupted it with a new model, we were not liked we're now back to being in and out constantly because you know like today we're about to announce that we've sold to a major foundation for of our artists and we are you know in and out and and I was on, with the V&A museum this week so I feel now I'm very moderated as a person I, I see value in the in the way the sector is running equally I see values in in making sure it's being kind of innovated I think I am no, I'm a middle aged person, but I think I've come to middle aged side of my career where 12 years in, I have seen a lot of things. So, and also because we are doing well, I'm just, you know, I just want to make sure that as many people are backing my artists and whether they're in or whether they're out, so I want both of them. So, I think, you know, as a company, we are talking to both sides. We don't really have a preference, a, pre- a favorite side.
0: Well, one of the things that I find very interesting, and don't get me wrong, I want to make something really clear. I love your agency model. I think it's really amazing. Like I grew up in a time and was trained in a time at what I believe was pre any of these kinds of agencies for artists existing. I'm 47, 47, yeah, I'm 47 and they just didn't exist. So like, it's one of the things where like, I wish these existed back then because they didn't or at least they didn't in America where I was raised. So anyways, all for what you do and loving it, supportive of it. Um, I just want to learn more about it. So just to be clear on that.
1: That's very sweet.
0: <laughs> so one of the things that I find really fascinating is that you seem to sort of ride that balance of doing like working with artists commercially, like working with uh, you know uh, corporate clients so to create ad campaigns. And I saw window displays and other things like this for like companies and for-profit kind of things and you also seem to work with public art programs and, and uh, you know, cultural institutions so that you're able to take your artists both into sort of the commercial art world as well as the fine art world is that tripe is that right am i seeing it correctly
1: yeah it's it's really interesting so obviously i've had very academic studies in france where people end up professors politicians or journalists that is it in terms of my to studies and I've had then an exposure in Los Angeles because I was lucky that an investor approached me when I was 22 to open Mount Gallery in LA. So which was much more like a marketing exposure because I got to open a gallery with celebrities and the LA world, which was something very different to the intellectual world. And then I got to learn how to do business in the UK, which is in terms of trade, also like a different kind of training. I guess as a person, I think kind of going back to the idea of sales, I'm not a salesperson that could sell anything. I'm someone that could sell something that I I truly believe in. In the same way that when we when we built Empty Art, you know, we built it on values. We were one of the first B Corp in the art world and we had our ideas of what the ethics of the company would be and as much as what the execution of the company would be. And in a weird way, a lot of my team is much more left-wing than right-wing, which is still... Something that would be quite rare for the sector we're in, and that's because there is a really clear understanding to the values of why everyone is in the system that we're in, and also therefore why the execution matters so much and I think money here is a tool to make or a vehicle to make sure that the that everything can happen and I think I'm very comfortable with that because I didn't come from money, and I know that uh, economics are essential if you want to make anything happen in the world we're in. And I'm definitely not someone that's utopist about it. I think I'm more someone that generally wants change to happen, and so I'm more pragmatic about how much change one can generate. I mean, I'm, I'm really comfortable about the social values that we have. I'm very comfortable also about the the fact that you know we are people who are incredibly excited when we close a deal, and yeah, we we salespeople. I think in in that sense, but I think we we are weird socialist salespeople, which I think is quite rare for the sector we're in. But we are definitely, yeah, I mean, my company, every time a deal is closed on a daily basis or every two, three days, like it is a celebration. Like that's why we wouldn't be a foundation of a charity because the people who work with me are excited for the growth of the company. And there is that relationship with finance. Equally, none of us could work with people or projects that we didn't feel were moral. So it's just, I think for me, that's where business should be. And so I do think it's, it makes us any saint. I think it's just, it's a a nice quality of life. It enables us to, all of us to wake up in the morning knowing that we are doing the right thing, but having a growth that we would wish for. So it's a very comfortable way to live, I think. Oh, yeah,
0: I mean, but our generally creative people are the worst with finances. We are like, we don't like commodifying ourselves, like, well, you know, whatever, snobby sort of fine artist people don't like doing that. And they're really bad at it, too. you know. So to have a, a, a group of people, an agency that support an artistic practice sounds like magical to me, like you all sound like some sort of great unicorn riding on a rainbow, kind of like never happens.
1: I think, like, the artists are working incredibly hard with us. I'm very cautious about what I say, because even when we sign them, I don't want any false expectations. I think it was really nice. Like, I remember writing the Christmas card at the end of last year and thinking, there's not a single artist we haven't provided great opportunities this year. And that is something that I feel proud of, because it's important that they all feel that way. But it's... Yeah, I just, I'm very cautious about projecting any form of dream. I think I'm much more into like uh, regular action making with them and and I hope they're happy. I think ultimately, you know, they also somehow our clients as well, as much as we pay them, they are still people that if they're unhappy, this will be a bad thing for the company. But but yeah i'm i'm incredibly fortunate with them i definitely have had rocks as artists who've taught me how to behave with them and and i'm very grateful for that i think david savanchebret or jennifer abyss has been with me for at least 6 years Liu as well for four and and they've they've taught me how to be i think in in that kind of relationship and i think the rest are now entering a company that is doing well and and i'm sure this is it's nice i'm sure it's a nice fitting in, in the current times to be entering something that is safe and that is dynamic you know
0: well okay i'm interested in that so like the the sort of the nuts and bolts of it because like i'm picturing okay so let's say let's say theoretically i know this isn't going to happen but the, your agency represented me mm-hmm. is and then because like i was looking at like all the different sort of projects you've done be it corporate be it public um you know institutional are those things that like the institutions or the or the companies come to you and then you find an artist that fits them or do the do the artists say, hey, you know what, I really want to work with this company and then you pitch it to the company? Like how, which way does, how does that all work? I
1: think the best way, I know it sounds mad because we are still in the finance sector, but talent agencies that have been around for a very long time in, in LA specifically. I was lucky to meet Michael Lovitz who created CAA and this is very much someone that emotionally I'm very tied to because he's the one that's opened up my eyes to that reality when I was very young and it's that simple it's just people who go out there and make sure that contacts come to them or you pitch to contacts it's just one of the oldest way to do business but All of us, like, and I speak for my team. So, Blue was at Vogue before she joined us. Jan had a creative agency for 20 years before he joined us and sold it to join us as well. Lise also had an art company for five years before she joined us as well. They'll all be people who are, and there's more obviously, but I'm just, that's my more senior team. And if I think of them, they are smart, agile, very creative, got a great network, know how to nurture a network and continue for that network to expand. And they're very good on speed. So they know that if something arises an opportunity, they can close it fast. And they also just imp- inspire trust, like, you know, clients or artists trust them. Like if they say something like you just, you know, you know, it's just done silly, but it, like, I think I guess from a personality trade perspective, they can talk about money easily. They can talk about problems easily. They can talk about challenges easily. So there's a trust that occurs from the client to the talent really quickly into this people. Um, which means that large projects are being given to them because you know that if at some point deep into a large projects a, an issue arises and they'll be here to fix it and and they will be able to kind of make sure. And I think that's the relationship I have with the artists. They trust us to handle the good and the bad, and my clients are the same. So it's that simple of just make sure you speak to people every day. You just respond to the needs that they actually have, not invent needs that they don't have, and then try to match those needs with people that you know.
0: Yeah, it sounds great. (laughs) Sorry. It's
1: not, not like, I didn't come from a network, so it's not, it's, I understand, I think what it is, it's, it's more a compromise to how much you want to give to people. Like, my phone explodes every day with, just my WhatsApp will go maybe 200 or 300 messages a day, not saying I'm busy, but just saying that you are devoted to making sure people are okay and people are nurtured and supported and I think I understand that this is not the dream of everyone but at the same time if you look after people then they look after you and nurturing a network is that simple as that so I I do believe that everyone can do it I think most people might find that a bit much which I understand but whether or not this is accessible I think it is accessible to kind of do but it's just more it might be feeling like it's a bit much which that's that's the choice of life I think in my head
0: okay do me do this walk me through like an average day for you like what so you're talking about how you you know you do work with clients and you nurture all these different people Like, like what is your general work day look like
1: well, I think I did not really have an average day. Also, at the minute, I I've I'm really so we're very lucky. We've just you know multiplied our revenue by three last year, so had new hires plus uh, new investors joining us as well. So I'm by far a majority shareholder. I'm seventy-two percent of my company. So this is not like a company run by investors. And my actually the half of the rest of that percentage is split between my employees artists and investors it's a very kind of egalitarian way for them to be entering the company but it does mean for me my priority is to make sure that everyone is being empowered to lead the company so it's less about me it's more about them if that makes sense so my days are spent a lot on making sure that people can lead especially the senior hires and after this like people i talk to people all the time because that is my job so i'm always on the go to talking in terms of pitching i mean every time i have an idea i make sure that i pitch it to who is relevant same from the pr side same from the artist side i'm always on the go to kind of redirect them to selection committee and and you know you just basically just trying to be as knowledgeable as possible jump into as many meetings as necessary because you don't want to be doing things that are unnecessary and then for me my priority is absolutely that i'm known as a company that hire very smart people and the top of what they do so i need to make sure those guys are really happy and that is my top priority right now
0: you, you use the term knowledgeable as possible like how, so for you at your level because like i to be honest I, i'm a bit intimidated talking to you so i'm a little scared well, here so like <laughs> bear with me
1: i'm currently in the jumper so there's no intimidation whatsoever
0: no, I, I promise there is intimidation. I'm quite scared here, so I'm trying to be as professional as I can. So you you use this term, uh, uh, knowledge as knowledgeable as possible. So like, how do you keep up with being as knowledgeable as possible? Because like as an artist, so like I'm sitting here, like I try to keep up. You know, I read what I can, I watch videos as I can, I go out and you know meet people and try to nurture and build new relationships as much as I can, but. The question is, is sort of you're on a different echelon to me that as far as I'm concerned. And so I'm asking sort of like, what are the the practices that you have to sort of keep as knowledgeable as possible?
1: I think what I'm very fortunate to have, I guess as a personality is I have a mix of ADD, but also very good concentration. And I don't know how this landed, but it did land. And it means I can be in a room for 10 hours and apply something. But it also means that like, if after now, like I feel the meeting has gone around three times, I definitely have really edgy ADD. So I think my brain is capable, and and that's something I've, that's the biggest juggle for us entrepreneurs or artists is how do you do all the quick task really fast, and how do you make sure you leave time for the reflection and the the long term vision, and that will be through books, a really good conversation with people, through really good brainstorming, through really good articles, and it's usually long. Articles as well, you can't do the short articles for that kind of things, so I don't know, I just feel first of all, I feel my brain needs it. My brain needs to back to kind of the values of the company. I need to understand the wider context and why I do things the way I do because my brain needs to compute the the reason the actions are being done that way. so I think there's I'm sure there's a bit of worrying there, but yeah it's fortunate like it is I'm able to really like you know this year there's a book that's being published on my side on our studies for visual diets so how images impacts you and shapes you but I'm really able to put long-term goal and just make sure that they are getting done even if the daily is kind of really over overwhelming because it is and the reality is I work obviously very hard but I'm lucky that if I do commit to a long-term goal, I will see it through as, as challenging as the long-term goal is. And and I see books and I see learning and knowledge in the same pool of that. But I, equally, like my emails are quite abrupt and my WhatsApp are quite abrupt because my small tasks are being done in a very fast way. And I'm sure it would be much nicer sometimes to be drafting a five paragraph email and, and that will be the much more civilized way to kind of go about a relationship or an ongoing conversation but the realities are in my current time management and also because i'm a single founder like michael has had four of partners i am a single founder i don't see the time to do that and that's therefore the compromise that i've made there are definitely people who have said that it's too abrupt it's too direct but it just it comes at times where. I couldn't do the rest if I wasn't making sure that the quick decisions are made quickly and efficiently, and then the rest can therefore be allocated more time to it. I mean, there's only, we all have the same amount of time. So there's times where you have to make compromises on how you go about it, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah. You, and you said long-term vision. So what's the long-term vision that you are currently working on? Because I'm sure it changes over time.
1: So for me, my vision has actually not changed. <laughs> so oh, Okay. I think it's, I don't know, because also it's interesting your comment. I'm curious about the intimidation because I think, I guess like I'm really the the boss that is like on flat shoes all the time, making jokes and cooking for the team. And and sh- I've, I've obviously intimidated a lot of people. I've even in fact had people writing horrible things about me who did, I didn't know at all. So I just, I've always found that fascinating because, I mean, obviously I work hard. I have that vision that's very solid. But it does we do generate really strong reactions. So apparently, yesterday we were the talk of a three hours conversation at Suzuki's on facts that were completely wrong. Apparently I came from an aristocratic background, which is the reason why we were successful and which is absolutely not the case. And it just it's it's fascinating to me because I I guess the way I see my daily is I just I've worked really hard for the past 12 years and I want to kind of make sure we get there and I want to make sure that everyone that's part of this gets there in one piece and that is my auto concentration and it's the same with my friends, it's the same with my family, I just want to make sure everyone is basically safe in that sense. So I don't have that perception, but I, I'm sure it's a lack of self-awareness as well.
0: Just to be clear on, on my thing, like why I'm intimidated by you, you, okay, I'll, I'll tell you, it too, it's a twofold thing. One, I'm intimidated by your CV. You have an incredibly impressive CV. I come from academia. I'm impressed by CVs. But like, well, like, I'm a
1: double the, dropout student though, so that's not a very impressive academic CV.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, that's sort of the point. Well, But that's what is even more impressive to me is that you don't have any of that sort of formal training, yet you have been able to figure out a way that the, you know, other people who maybe have great academic CVs haven't been able to be successful. You have been able to be successful. That's one. That's part of my intimidation. Second part of my intimidation is you are very good at your public branding so like when I read through all of the CVs and I read through all of the articles and watched some some videos of you and things like this like you come out in a very um, strong confident way and, and I do not mean that in any negative way whatsoever I, I see it as a strength and a positive and you come out in a way that makes me go like wow she's so much higher more knowledgeable more informed more whatever like
1: i don't think higher is the right term i don't think anyone is higher but i think that's uh, i the the french don't really like the idea of superiority as we all know they don't don't do well in the idea of it and i like the idea of being equal
0: (laughs) higher in the echelon of the art world
1: yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, the confidence that I have is I generally have seen so much in such a s- short perspective of time because anyone who does things fast see things that are difficult, I think. And so so it's true that I, you know, people, certain crises that we handle, I would be able to handle it in one day and process it in one week because I'm used to kind of seeing things in a way that for somebody else, it might take six months. Or it might It might take a year. And that's, that's just because I'm used to almost kind of see all the colors of what life or human beings have. And, and also, you know, I've been in a place where generally I was completely broke on the sofa up to a place where I'm now more privileged. So my, my range of experiences of life exactly does mean that I don't think anyone is higher, and does mean that I, you know, I, there's not a day where I don't think we're not, we shouldn't push harder as a company, because of this. So the the sense of safety is built specifically on that consistency of working. And and I think, I guess, I know why I'm in the room for. I generally want to be adding value to the sector. And it's there's no other reason why I'm in this room. So I think understanding why you're in the room does have to be in the room because I don't care if at that point someone thinks I'm attractive or not or like me or not or whatever, you know. It's just the point is, is that I know exactly why my purpose is at that point in time. And I I guess that is a big relief to make sure that you can execute things because you cannot be worried about the the rest of things. In terms of the vision, I guess the vision of MT Arts is where to become a CAA for the visual arts. That's always been since day one. And that would, you know, that will take me a lot of work. But I lately got a little message of Michael, which made me feel very happy. So I guess there's another 50 years to go, but one can do that. In terms of my specific vision. So I'm really interested in the inequalities in the sector. That's much more the reason why I'm here than building a talent agency. Building a talent agency is an enabler to making sure that I can crack what I feel is a sector that is unaccessible economically to work in it, because my interns are paid, because my staff is paid well, because my, my artists are paid. So I'm trying to build a system that's more economically viable, have that as a first trial with a company, and then be able to understand it so that I can apply it to the areas of the sector but I can also empower people trying to do it whether it's financially whether it's through resources that's really why I'm also so happy that two entrepreneurs joined me as part of the ride because I value people who are trying to do things that are difficult and it's also where I feel that whether it's a book whether it's the investment financially I will be more on that personally and I think anyone who knows me therefore. Sees me boiling much more around inequalities than the rest because the talent agency is all to do with that. We do feel it's a faster, fairer way to get to success, which doesn't require to make any more sacrifices, and also means that the team can be well paid along the process of that, and same with the artists. So there's a real economical, I guess, understanding I'm trying to crack, and it's it comes out out of someone who hasn't done business studies, but I find. Th- economics in that sense really interesting like i would i think i would have died doing a marketing course because i found that really boring and very non interesting but i found telling good stories really interesting i found communication in telling those good stories really key and i found cracking social economical problems really interesting but i think i come at it from more of a philosophical level where I'm like, how can we make sure this happens? Even if it's not the easiest options, how do we make sure this is being enabled? I think it's more the way I come at it, more that come at it on, let's study the market and let's see where the gap is. I think I've never been that company that had studied the gap and therefore created the gap. I've been more the company that just felt it was the right thing to do to create what we were creating and we will make sure that it works for that reason and look, in doing that, we have created a gap, but it's a, it's the there's a way to think about it, and I think it's it's further away from the business school's kind of thinking. It's more I guess a philosophy thinking towards it.
0: well, you brought up like inequality, and i'm I would love to hear a little bit more about like what you are defining by this inequality, and I believe that it has something to do with your philanthropic work as well, yes,
1: I help a foundation called Malika who's helping young girls to get into school, but it's really tiny and I, I think behind the scenes I try to give resources or access to mentoring programs or any form of things that I see like the Arts Council or OK Mentor I'm part of who would just like give give access. Malika is because I feel they're doing an incredible job. Shoes Love is the same they, the way they are helping refugees is very key. I don't do enough of that. I should be doing more. At the minute every single of my time is taken into empty arts. I cannot wait to do more is the answer but we still gave 10 percent of our profit last year to charities from the empty outside but you know it's definitely it won't change the world it's like what we're doing but it will it's 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 the best we can do because at the minute a lot of the resources have to be reinvested into making sure we grow to where we want to grow in terms of inequalities i think it's more i i think that the, the art sector currently whether you are working for foundations or museums or galleries Doesn't pay you well because there's not enough resources. And it also means that 90% of the people who are in the sector, and I sadly think it was going to be worse with COVID, do come from very privileged backgrounds. What bothers me with this is that the fact that if I'm talented or if anyone is talented for that matter, they can't get into the sector as we speak. The only reason I was able to get into the sector is because my education was free. And then I had this plus a mix of luck, basically, which is something that I think from an Anglo-Saxon sector is difficult to see, but that is very much like the socialist angle, that I was exposed to things like fine arts, museums, or a ballet, or opera, or anything coming from a lower middle class background, which is not even working class background, but what still means that I could be exposed to things that the upper class would be exposed to here. So that's what I mean by inequalities. And the, the way I see MTR solving it is because we pay our artists fairly. We give them more commissions and in a gary system. We pay our team very fairly. So, you know, they can have maternity leaves. They can have really decent living, really nice living. Our interns are in the same position. That's already kind of trying to work out how do you do a job that is right, that is socially driven, that is full of passion, but also does mean the economics are enough aligned that everyone who is part of the company is supported. And and that's, that's what I'm trying to crack. Like, you know, if if, you, if you're if you a single mom, you wouldn't be able to work in my sector. It's too expensive and it's not feasible from the the taking care of the child, especially in the Anglo-Saxon world, plus having a de- de- decent wage. But the issue that I have is that single mom could be very smart and could be adding tons of value to the sector, right? So back to a talent agency where we're interested in talent, I wouldn't want that to be a barrier. I would, I would want that person to be able to apply to us if she was really kind of right for the position. So that's what I mean by my interest in solving that inequalities is how do we build business models that are resilient and sustainable and means that they can include everyone at every level of their social backgrounds because ultimately they do pay them well as well and they enable them to therefore leave on the job that they love doing. And that's not the case currently across the sector.
0: You, you brought up like parenthood and maternity and all this kind of stuff. Now I know that you're also a mother as well.
1: Yeah, I am.
0: I often ask people like who have children, uh, whether that impacted that sort of that transition of pre having a child to post having a child changed your outlook uh, in any way or your business practices or anything like that.
1: I mean, it's again difficult for me because I really have got the same vision since I'm little. So I think it's, I don't, you know, I'm lucky that I really have quack a bit of that purpose early. And at last my son is is just like, you know, is, is was born an explosion of that purpose because he was welcomed, maybe people who believe in that too, and who are welcoming to him. I mean, at this stage in my life, we are beyond privilege. First, my Will has done my partner has done 50% of the job with me. And that is, you know, that is already more than most women would have then I can afford to pay for nursery from Monday to Friday. Then I also have a company culture that's defined by me, whereby if at 6 p.m. we haven't finished yes working, my son can still be in the room and doesn't shock anyone coming back from nursery. So, you know, I think in reality, I am in one of the most privileged section of having kids. And that is specifically what bothers me is that it shouldn't be a privilege and also, it's. I, I still. I. I mean. I didn't take my maternity leave. So I would clarify this on that basis. I would want my employee to take my maternity leave. I would never kind of say, "Do not take my maternity leave by all means." That's not the company I'm building. Yes. Okay. Well, you're about to actually see him because he's sick today.
0: <laughs> oh, I hear the cough. I
1: oh, know.
0: Oh, hello, Atlas.
1: Ah. Because he's sick today so you see you've interrupted us at the perfect timing darling when we were talking about you which is very respectful and very put together of you I, i'm aware like there's a great book about this called culture is bad for you on how frankly all women who have kids drop out of my sector if they don't have support like it's a terrible age and it's just it's just heartbreaking, I think. And the ones who haven't who are dropping now are the ones who were resilient enough to last for ten years, but they were resilient enough with that anxiety that they wouldn't be able to make it work. So it's it's just depressing. And I'm still white and middle class. So it's not like working class with a form of diversity or anything like this, which will make it completely worse. Do you want to say something? He's very sick. Hi. He's Not feeling interested. very sorry for himself today, I'm afraid. <laughs> but yeah, so I think it's, it's. look, I knew in my company we would have the right policies, but it just breaks my heart to be reading the book. I've read this book thinking, oh my God, like the stats are even worse than I thought the stats would be.
0: Oh, you you should come to the Czech Republic. My uh, The maternity leave here legally by the government is three years.
1: Wow. That's Paid by
0: the government.
1: Well, that's amazing, though. That's really good.
0: Yes, it is.
1: Yeah, the Nordic countries are very good as well. There's definitely, there's loads of examples. And and I think that's really the thing that also upsets me with education on, there's so much has been proven that investing in this area is a good thing. Having women who are happy and work and empowered is a good thing, just purely economically. Like if the conversation is to do with money, then it does make sense. But it is... Yeah, in the country I'm mean, yeah. in 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 the UK, it's definitely not it's da- it's not pretty in terms of the way it's applied.
0: Okay, so we now I want to little bit hear a little bit more about your book. It, has the book actually been published yet or is it still no. scheduled to come out? So
1: yeah, so we don't know yet the exact date. We are editing everything at the minute, which is very painful. And the idea is to kind of very much have an awareness on how like how images impact you from like you know the i'm sorry because i think come you're gonna have to cut this because he's feeling so sorry
0: maybe maybe not (laughs) i love the i love it so i might not cut it
1: (laughs) he is feeling very sorry for himself today you are having a miserable day, it's okay. We all have a day where we think, I just feel crap and I want the whole world to look at this and say, you are right to feel crap and that is your day for feeling that way. So it's really thinking from how images impacted you and how over the past 200, 300 years, depending on what kind of like visual background you got raised into, then you were shaped to be a very different person. And the effect that this would have had on you from an architectural perspective, what's in your house, how is your house, digital now, advertising, politics as well. Then, therefore, giving you a toolkit on how you can best see that and how you can best understand the impact of images on you. And also helping you being more participative in that matter. So, i.e. knowing what to do to participate in that conversation and how to make sure that, you know, you you know that you can participate and have a voice that's being heard, whether it's digital and curating what you are looking at, whether it's public art and creating what's on your streets, but you have actually got a voice, even if you have no means to have it, you will still have a voice. I mean, as long as you have access to your phone, but even if you don't, then there's a level of public art that you could hopefully have a level of access to. So hopefully that's accessible enough for us in the Western world to have access to
0: I used to run a, a public nonprofit in the United States that was a public art program where we did like installations of of uh, sculptures and we would rotate it every 6 months in order to try and part of the goal was to try to educate the community on what they defined as good quality art, you know, cause like they had never had any sort of public art before murals, mm-hmm. no, nothing. Uh, and so like the, the, that's part of my background is, is, is doing public art and and engaging in that and trying to help to educate the, you will call it the consumer, but the general public, the people that engage with public art and, and try mm-hmm. to help to educate them to know what they like better. Because like, I find that a lot of people don't know, what they like, and on the flip side, they they also don't know what they don't like. So like they 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 don't they don't know. They just they like yes or no, but they don't know why. And so like engaging in that conversation of why do these things work and why do other things not is a very interesting conversation.
1: Oh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, that's. The belief for us is the more the audiences are aware of it, which Uh is why we're doing this as well, then the more they can participate and the more that's Mm -hmm. democratic. So that will be the hope with it, basically. So I agree with that.
0: Okay. So I'm interested. Let's go back a step to the the whole scenario of the artists like so I, I know you get like insanely large amount of artists wanting to be, be part of the your organization your agency
1: mm-hmm.
0: so like when you when you find an artist that you like do you keep with them like how long is your relationship with an artist <laughs> on average
1: I, I guess like i mean they can go it can go for as long as it's successful in a sense like I think the the contract is three years to be renewed. I mean, a lot of my early guys have renewed it, to give you an idea, because when it works, there's no reason to stop it. We do have a trial phase. And, you know, I would just never encourage anyone to stay in a relationship that's not beneficial for them. I think, obviously, for us, the reason we're so kind of careful on the getting them on board is also because i would hate that we fail them you know it's so exciting to get on board to something that it's it's heartbreaking it doesn't work out so i'm trying to minimize as much as i can that disappointment as well
0: well what i mean okay so for a learning experience for like myself and the listeners and stuff like what are some of the things that maybe artists did poorly or that made it so that that relationship was not successful Try you know in order to try and educate us so that we can do it better.
1: I mean, <laughs> you mean talking about mistakes? Artists. You don't make, have to mention names. Like a hundred books together, yeah. <laughs> artists make a lot of mistakes, but I'm sure we did too. I mean, just as recently as this week, although they were very sweet because they felt very guilty. We have an artist group, so it's not that I shamed them, but I did jokingly said this was ridiculous, and the artists all responded with gift, with gift. It's okay. They all responded with GIF feeling very sorry for themselves because they felt very much like idiots. But they sent the wrong prices and for four of them to a major foundation. And two of them made mistakes on their website that with the pricing not being the pricing they wanted, which meant that by the second it's out there on the Internet, I can't retract what's being said. So we had to lower the sale because in the four cases, this was actually a low amount, not a higher amount, which is very silly. It's a silly mistake, but it's not like it's not something we're going to fire them. I think it's lovely that they are working out and they're selling so much and that they have you this know, competency between their pricing. So that's more of a joke. I think the mistake that I see is people think they can do it on their own. They forget when success happens. I see them going on their own as a disaster because I think my job is is like a ballet dancer. We have to pretend it's all easy to make sure the contacts come in to, for the success to happen. And then the mistakes that can be done is always arrogance, but being pretentious arrogance is always a mistake. And then they go out in the wild, they use some of the track record that was built. And then six months later it dies off. And then, and then they struggle financially and it's just silly because there was no need, but that's, usually it's bad advice from the networks that they have who do not understand the job that we do and will tell them oh you could make more money if you did it on your own but actually they forget that we have like eight people on the go so which is a lot of money as well and it's just a degree of arrogance and arrogance is never a good thing in any in my job in their job it's not a good thing i think the other thing is lack of communication or trust. It just, it's like any relationship really. That's always the most obvious one. You know, it's normal. Like I, I manage people who are not utterly professionals. I'm expecting this kind of downfalls. And Frankly, like if that's the thing, if they do better without us, I'll be delighted because we also have works in our collection. So it'd be so much better than I think that kind of fail. I think failing for arrogance is silly. Failing because you've got an even bigger competitor than ours with waiting with arms open, that's great. Like the works in our collection will rise, your profile will rise, the work we've done for your reputation will actually increase. Like it's a good story. Failing because you felt you were bigger than you were, that's just really stupid. And sadly, I've seen more that than the other way around. Because I think the ones that are actually successful understand how to get us on board with the bigger competitor as well. So they understand that they should get everyone on board for them and not divide because they're much smarter about it. So they're emotionally smart enough to make sure that everyone works for them, not that they divide and let people behind. So that's more who I think is successful. I think the people who never had success will suddenly get exposed to it sometimes makes the wrong decisions and make tons of wrong, wrong, wrong decisions. I'm definitely not judging it, but it's obviously a waste. It's a waste of resources.
0: Okay, you said something in there that sort of made me think about the, what's the average age of the artists that you generally represent?
1: Um, now we have a baby, actually, 25 up to 60 at the minute.
0: Well, I would imagine that to be able to do the sort of the caliber of things that I've seen on your 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 publicity and and the the uh, the be, be able to be humble enough to like work in in collaborative organization like what this sounds like, it, w- it would take a certain amount of maturity because like I know in my youth I had made the mistake of being very arrogant in my youth, and as I've gotten older, I hope that I've gotten more humble though not so totally humble, but more humble. And so like, I would imagine that older artists
1: No, it's actually I really don't believe in age partially, because I feel it's really just how you respond to things. And some people will have had tougher experiences to start with. Like Raven and history, my two youngest are so calm and wise about it. Like, like Raven is a rock, like she takes on the comments the critics, she goes, like, she's currently just had a TV show secured at you know multiple sales and she really is like pro but you know raven has had a lot of shit to get to the point she is in and she's really young so she has an understanding that this is tough and new opportunity is valuable and and actually the recent example of people being a bit silly were older because it was their first exposure to success still i think your first exposure to success is still something that is surprising it's still something that is new so, people d- respond in different ways, but it wasn't the youngest. I think it's also for me really depending on how good your support network is. People who have parents who are good advisors or partners who are good advisors, like relationships, like Azika again was doing really well. His wife is such a rock. And she's also like super chill, very like, she takes a lot of perspective in. Also good friendships as well, like healthy friendship, not obsessive, not like, you know, intense, just like the ones that will give you what you don't want to hear as well. Those ones will be able to not make that mistakes. Sadly, the guys will just don't have that in place. It doesn't go well. And that I, I'm sure I speak on behalf of anyone that's in the sector. And then first the decision to how much they generate for us at that point, because if you're a brat, then, you know, it comes to a cost where, First of all, no one wants to take care of you, so from the team. And so you really need to be at a level where you're sustaining another 10 artists for us to be like, okay, we will we'll make that effort, or then it doesn't work.
0: Okay. Within that, then the thing that I started wondering about, okay, all right, okay. I've done commissions in my life uh, for clients and for corporations and for private people and stuff. And, and as a general whole, I hate doing them. But that's because I think they were the wrong people. Because they they came to me and said, like, hey, I, I love what you do. And I want you to do this thing that is nothing like what you do. So, like, I guess the question is, is sort of, like, how do you find that ability to connect the right artist to the right, let's call it, client's she-
1: needs? I think we're lucky that we haven't had many of those experiences. We Look, I would make that decision completely upon the situation of the artist. If the artist is currently lacking finance and needs something to be boosting, I'd be more flexible for the client. And it will all depend on what is right, what is wrong. But we do really have clients with that. I, I really love my clients. I actually feel that a lot of the time they are more flexible than my artists with them. So... I don't really have people that I I don't enjoy working with on the client front. I think I have a perfectionist artist. And it's not that they don't want to be flexible, that they just really have a clear vision again. So I'm used to that. I'm used to having two very headstrong people. But I think they implicitly have a lot of respect for each other. (coughs) It's okay. (coughs) I think we have someone who's really not in a great space.
0: No. He's just, I hope he's not, he's just sick, right? Just like a normal. No, it's not
1: sick. He's just. Sick. Okay, good. But my God, you are making the world feel miserable. Sorry, you will have to cut the part where he's coughing because he's coughing quite a bit. It's okay. And look, you're feeling so miserable.
0: We can conclude it with one last question, which would be just. Um, What advice might you give to any sort of aspiring, either a business professional who might sort of want to go into the agencies or artists that might want to work with agencies?
1: On the artist front is really research very well who you're approaching. I found that there's a lack of research. You know, like you wouldn't, in the same way that you said your clients ask you to do something that had nothing to do with you. I have a lot of artists who want to be represented, but they don't really understand why that will be us, why that will be somebody else. So I think research is lacking. And then try to understand, darling, this is the part that's important. Try to understand the the, the urgencies that you must speak to first. There's always going to be people who are going to support you more than anybody else. And so having a start with the audiences to start with is important because you can always be known by everyone later But there's usually a support system of people that will trust you first and foremost. And therefore, I would have an understanding to why and how you can make sure you get to meet more people through that. Business people, I would actually ask ironically the question, do you have to sell a business? Because it's really hard. The same with an artist is just, is there someone else doing what you're doing where you could partner up? I think definitely the answer would have been yes if someone was doing what I was doing for me. And from that exact point on then, it's just make sure you have a why. It's so glamorized, it's really hard in a good way. It's the most meaningful thing I've done with obviously being a member as well, but it's it means 24 seven of challenges on a daily basis. So if you don't have a why, I just you should just join someone and just offer your skills and have your weekends like all normal people. And there's no reason to put you through I oh, know, my love. There's no reason to put you through that pain if that's not actually something that's essential. Sorry, there was a lot of cough intimately into it. I hope you'll make the best of it.
0: I will keep it all in because it gives nice character. It shows your loving motherliness. It's great.
1: Well, look at him. He's just so unhappy today.
0: I don't know his normal looks. So I'm not sure how that... He looks He looks pretty good looking. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He doesn't, he doesn't have like
0: he's not like there's not like snot running out his nose or anything like yeah, he looks...
1: we've tried to kind of make sure it's not too obvious
0: okay well, thank you very much for your time I've been
1: meeting you and if I can anything that I can do to help let me know if you want me to read anything just for the and and I hope this is helpful
0: it's great yeah you've been it, you know it's just new knowledge for me like I didn't know much about what an agency does or how it runs so Anything new knowledge is is good to me.
1: I'm really glad.